0: Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, The Monday edition of 2 for 1 Drafts. Got a jam-packed show today. Really excited. We're going to talk about the biggest weakness for every top prospect in the 2020 NFL Draft. We've talked about the top 20 top 30 guys for a for a while now i feel like we're talking about the same guys over and over saying the same things over and over but today we really wanted to bring out like highlight that biggest weakness because sometimes it's hard with the guys that you have in the top five top 10 of the big board so i think we want to highlight that biggest weakness or the biggest reason maybe they won't pan out at the next level in addition to that we got a couple new segments to introduce towards the back end here we're going to introduce bar fights Mike and I are going to disagree on a prospect and talk about why we disagree. I think it'll be interesting. Got a good name coming up for that. And we're also going to finish the podcast with perfect pairings. we got two NFL player comparisons for 2020 NFL draft prospects that we think will be good. Before we dive into the show, though, I got to bring up, we are doing a draft guide giveaway for podcast reviews. We had a bunch of reviews over the weekend when we first announced this on Friday, but no one left their email. Leave your email so we can give you the draft guide. We're going to be selecting five podcast reviewers that leave their email and giving them a draft guide. So make sure to do that right after you listen to the podcast if you do love what Mike and I do. Support 2 for one Drafts. Support PFF. Also, PFF's 2020 NFL Draft Guide, if you don't want to leave a review, is available to Edge and Elite subscribers. You can use promo code NFL2020 to save 25% off on an Edge or Elite subscription. Mike, I just ran through everything for you. Are you ready to get rock and roll?
1: Yeah. I was going to say, even if you don't love the podcast, even if you're not going to go to 5-Star Review, just <laughs> give it give it an interview. What we can pick a three star if you really want to hate on us but we we think that's uh, fair that's fair we we, we're doing this because we think they'll be generally favorable but if they're not well then we need to know that too
0: we're also doing this because we want to give you the draft guide. We talk about yeah. it all the time. It's over 1,100 pages. I feel like I bring it up every 20 minutes on the podcast. We want If you want to look it over, just leave a review, leave your email, and we'll we'll hand one your way. All right, let's get into these biggest weaknesses for every top prospect. We're going to go through one down, down the list, and we're going to start with Joe Burrow. I think this one's very difficult. He's the number one player on PFF's board. He's the number one player on a lot of boards, especially ones that include positional value. I always find it funny seeing boards that include Chase Young above Joe Burrow because I find it – absolutely absurd you have to factor yeah. in positional value with your draft board if you're you you would not in this situation pick chase young over joe burrow if you're the cincinnati Bengals. i i just don't see it however yeah, yeah, i do think joe Bur- it's funny
1: if like you go so if you have like chase young above joe burrow but then jordan love in your top 20 like Jor- jordan love realistically shouldn't be above any of the top like eight to ten wide receivers like you, you know there's like 10 wide receivers that profile to be very good wide receivers in the NFL. If Jordan love ends up being, you know, a top 10 quarterback or even an average quarterback, which would be the 16th best, you know, quarterback in the NFL, that would be very surprising. Mm -hmm. So like to have, like if you have chase young above Joe Burrow, but then Jordan loves still like in your top 25 players, you're, at one point, taking in positional value, but then at another point, not doing it. So
0: exactly, I mean, inconsistent consideration of positional value is awful. Like you have to value the quarterback position above all and reflect that throughout your entire draft board. And I think that's that's what, in my opinion, we haven't talked about this enough. That is very telling of your or PFF's opinion of Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, and these guys, because we are factoring position value and yet still don't see those guys as top 20 players in this class. That should tell you that, you know, how much we, you know, not necessarily dislike, but I think it's, 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 it's not a death knell per se, but it's definitely a negative review. If we have a quarterback knowing the value of that position outside the top 20 players, I think that shows just how much we have doubts for those players. All right, but let's get back to Joe Burrow. I think you have highlighted here that Joe Burrow, probably the biggest weakness at the next level is that arm strength. for him. He doesn't have that top end cannon like others, but I would say this, and I know he's a top prospect, so I would argue it, but I mean, it doesn't freaking matter. Right. I mean, this guy's just too accurate for that to matter.
1: Yeah. And so it has kind of, it has impacted his game. Like there are throws that he just not necessarily wasn't amazing at, but, uh, you know the far hash throws he's not making the way Justin Herbert can make. Like it just it does show up on his tape that lack of elite level arm strength that you want projecting the NFL. Now he has a stronger arm than Drew Brees does, and Drew Brees is still one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. He had probably like you can win and get away with his arm, but like a lot of that arm strength issues were kind of glossed over with LSU's offense. How much it attacked the middle of the field? How many of his throws didn't need to travel a long way? And when they did, they were vertical lead type throws, dropped it in a bucket, not necessarily hit a guy on a rope. And when you do look at his far hash numbers, they're not great. So throwing to the far hash last year, outside the numbers, he went 30 of 56 for 421 yards. That's a completion percentage just above 50% and yards per attempt right at about 7.5, four touchdowns, three interceptions. It's a passer rating below 80. And so those far hash throws, Compared to then all his other throws, where he was just lights out, you know, passer rating over 130 on the rest of the stuff. On those far hash throws, he did struggle. Like he comparatively didn't. So, if that's a big part of your offense, which the hashes get tighter, obviously, in the NFL, it's not as big of a deal. But I do think there are some concerns with him throwing outside of the numbers. That's what you're going to consistently ask him to do at the next level. That's not going to be his game.
0: I I think you know it's interesting to say that. I also think LSU fans are weak in the knees that you compare Joe Burrow and Drew Brees. They're not compared; they've had them in the same sentence. I think they're very excited about that. But I wanted to bring this up. I think arm strength you highlighted for those reasons. You know, throwing outside the hashes, you know, doesn't have the best numbers compared to other players. But others would probably bring up with Joe Burrow his age, the fact that he had one year of significant success, the system, the supporting cast as his biggest weakness. Why do you think arm strength is more important than that? Are you willing to overlook those other things?
1: The age I can uh, is right up there with arm strength. Like it does get easier, the older you are, the more you've played in college football, the easier it's going to look. And when you're 23, (laughs) yeah. When you're playing against kids and you're the oldest of them, like usually at any level that helps. Uh, once you get to the NFL, it's a little different. You're all, you know, fully physically developed, but you're still like in college, you're still playing kids who aren't as physically developed as you are. I don't think it's as big a deal at the quarterback position. And I've even said, you know, repeatedly on this pod that like you could throw an average NFL quarterback into the LSU system and they're not going to put up numbers close to what Joe Burrow did just because of an accuracy standpoint. It's difficult to hit your target that often. So, yeah, I I do think the age, not nearly not as concerning to me as the arm strength. The arm strength, I think, will actually on the field play a factor uh, in the scheme and sort of what he's asked to do at the next level.
0: All right, let's jump to Chase Young. I, I mean, this uh, is there a weakness? Is there something that you think is in his game now that it would change? I I don't know. Right now, we have listed on the in the in the notes here nothing. There's nothing to bring up as a big weakness for Chase Young. But trying to think about the player, I, is what about overexpect? You know, too high of expectations. I don't know. Like I mean. <laughs> that's that's maybe where he doesn't live up to expectation because right now everyone thinks that he's going to be putting on a gold jacket in like two years. Like that's, that's the only way I see him not panning out because people think this guy's going to like be a God in the NFL. Maybe he's just very, very good. Yeah. I was going to say, we tried
1: to stick to with on-field, all of these on-field reasons for not success. There's not one, there isn't one for Chase Young. Like there's nothing about the position that he's not doing at a very high level for a prospect. Now, I think there is something to be said for you still have to continue to develop. And like you said, maybe the, maybe it gets to his head and maybe he buys into it and doesn't work hard, whatever, predict mm-hmm. that, not putting that on him whatsoever, but that's about the only possible explanation to have for him <laughs> not to be at least like, you know, semi-productive, like at least to be a 10 year plus starter off the edge as a pass rusher uh, and not be a uh, gosh, who's the ever or uh Vernon Golson, you know, coming mm-hmm. out. That's right.
0: Of oh, man, I can't imagine. I honestly can't. No, there's imagine no way. He's,
1: no way he's that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's just absurd. But I mean, you, you, the expectation for him is to come in and be this like 50, 60 pressure a year guy right out of the gate. And I think the only way maybe he doesn't like live up to expectations is just as they're too goddamn high. And maybe he's just a top five edge defender, not a top three edge defender in the NFL for his career. I don't know. It's it, it's interesting to discuss. But let's move forward because not a lot to add there to a tongue of my low to tell my second, there's there's obviously an elephant in the room. There's a, This guy had significant surgery recently, something that I've talked to people saying that the NFL has never seen before because the surgery wasn't necessarily like to. I, I don't remember the wording they chose, but it was something along the lines. This was like save a man's leg type of surgery or like damage control type of surgery, rather than like, Hey, we need to repair this for future use type of thing. And I think for that reason, the NFL is in a territory. It's really never been because the surgery that they had to do for Tua leg was just honestly super rare. And for that reason, it's the biggest reason why everyone sees Tua with this asterisk next to his name, because this injury very well could come up and to the point where he gets drafted inside the top five and never plays it down in the NFL.
1: Yes. And well, pretty much no matter what happens with the hip, even if he does play in the NFL four or five years, he will at some point, you know, develop arthritis in that hip socket joint. Like they're it just, it's not going to heal. It's not going to be completely your perfect hip still after an injury like that. It is, it was a catastrophic injury, but I think we're going to put that aside again, because we're going to try to focus on the on-field reasons here for these guys to fail. And the biggest one with me is the supporting cast and there is real data Behind the supporting cast at Alabama, being a huge, huge sort of you know positive, obviously a positive in his favor. He played with you know probably two first-round offensive tackles, maybe three to four first-round wide receivers. And when you look in the data, you look at his fir- his grade on first-read throws is a ninety 90- over this past season was a ninety-one point six passing grade on first. Where's that course. rank? Where's that rank among quarterbacks? That was one of the top. That was like top ten in college okay. football, top five or something. And then. His grade on second read throws this past season was 75.5. Joe Burrow had a 95.3 grade on second read or anything past that. Second read, scramble wow. drill, that sort of thing. So yeah. 75.5 was well outside the top 10. That and was You not see that on
0: his tape great. too, though. Like you turn on his tape and this guy is firing yeah. to his first read early and often and he's great with it. But I do think moving to off that read, he does look, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess that's anecdotal, but I'm, I, it's, it's not surprising to see the data back up what you saw. And that's the thing is
1: 455 has his backs the last two years have been first read. Only 99 have come after the first read. So he has been dropping back, had that guy open, known where he was going and gone to him. And it's been successful because everyone was open basically in that Alabama offense. Like everyone that he found at the first read was getting open. And I so... Think that's, uh...
0: I think that's an interesting <laughs> article concept. Oh Riggins is Riggins agrees. I'm glad Riggins agrees. I, I, I do think it'd be interesting for you to dive in and look at how Tua Tonga Mailoa's success or lack thereof on you know, throws after your first read compared to other top pro- prospects in previous draft classes compared to Joe Burrow. I'd be interested to see more data on that because that seems, sounds like a real concern to me because other people bring that up saying he always throwing to the first defender. He throws very close to the line of scrimmage. Doesn't he get asked to throw downfield. I mean, when you see the data like that stack up, I think that is concerning because in the NFL, I'll tell you right now, the guy's not always open on your first read, yes. not at the level that those guys were at um, Alabama. And you speak to the supporting cast. I think you got Potentially, he's played with three first-round wide receivers last year. I mean, and then over the course of his career at Alabama, he played, he's going to play with probably three first-round offensive tackles, if you include Jonah Williams. I mean, this guy yeah. has had one of the better supporting casts you know, in the country over the past two-plus years. I mean,
1: better supporting cast in the country, it must be the best supporting cast any quarterbacks ever had in college football history. When you, when you, if you put it just from a draft perspective way, like we're obviously saying OT and wide receiver— are the two most valuable positions after quarterback on the offense. And you played with first-rounders at all those positions. Every single, you know, every single guy you were throwing to and every guy that was pass-protecting for you was a first-rounder. That seems like a pretty... I'm not sure. I'm trying to just think off the top of my head who would even come close to maybe some Miami teams from back in the early 2000s that would come close to that sort of talent.
0: All right, man. Well, that's interesting. I definitely want to look more into that. Let's jump to Jeffrey Okuda of Ohio State. I, I, man, we talk about this guy in such high regard. When we went to the combine, said if you built a cornerback in a lab, it would look a lot like Jeffrey Okuda. He's also graded very, very well in his time at Ohio State. He also plays some of the more valuable coverages that translate to success in the NFL and press man and those things. However... Highlighting something on field that maybe is a con is is limited from a scheme versatility standpoint. You have written here 18 of his 382 snaps were, weren't in man or cover three. This guy plays one type of coverage, and I think maybe if you ask him to do different things in the NFL, there will at least be a learning curve. I will say this. This guy has all the tools in the world to excel in any coverage you ask him to. However, the experience does matter. The reps do matter.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's He's almost the Chase Young of the cornerback position in terms of biggest wingspan of any cornerback at the combine. High, highest vertical, longest broad jump. Now his 40 wasn't exceptional, but it was a pretty darn good 40 at 4.48, uh, You know, 6'1", 205. Like he has built another guy built in a lab to play the cornerback position. Like That is all ideal measurables for a cornerback. Great at extremely well. Didn't allow a lot of yards in coverage. But that is the thing. It's if you're asking him to do it's this, what he did at Ohio state and why they churn out NFL cornerbacks is because they play cover one, cover three, the two most popular coverages in the NFL, but that's not all you play in the NFL. You play every team. I don't care who you are. will have to mix in other concepts, other different coverages just to throw defenses off balance. And again, we haven't seen that from 18 snaps. Like you mentioned this past season in coverage, we're not man or cover three. And so, I just think it'll be that like, again, he's almost too good to fail too many positive traits to fail at completely fail at this point. But if he does get into a role where that's not something, you know, playing it for a team that plays a lot of cover four, a lot of split safety coverages, he just has not done that. And there could be a learning curve and that could be a reason why he's not living, lives up to the expectations. But that's, that's really about all I got for you at this point.
0: All right, jumping to Jerry Judy, PFF's number one wide receiver in this class, the Alabama product, highlighting a weakness in his game. This guy's easily, and you agree with this too, I know that, but the best separator in this class, this guy is an, an elite route runner, can create separation at all three levels of the football field, and I think that's what stands out in his game. It's why he's the number one receiver in this class. But uh, something that I saw in his tape, and I know you maybe have a different weakness for him, but I think he does attack the ball inconsistently, in my opinion. You saw seven drops this past year, some of them kind of focused drops, but even in contested catch situations the few he did have you sometimes see him maybe not attack the ball that from a consistent way especially when you compare it to guys like Ceedee lamb or, or denzel mims these guys that really know how to attack the football in the air i think jerry judy because he has such limited experience high pointing the football in contested catch, catch situations that maybe ball you know, maybe ball skills aren't his number one thing i don't necessarily think they're bad but i don't know i, I think that's where i stand with him from a weakness standpoint if i had to highlight one
1: you, no he'll definitely body catch and even try to body catch in those contested situations at times instead of like you mentioned, C.D. Lamb exactly throwing both hands out away from his body and coming back to it most of the time. So was, he's not on that level of ball skills, and that's kind of what my sort of biggest worry or weakness would be for him projecting the next level. And it's dealing with physicality. He had 24 contested opportunities in his entire college career, three years there at Alabama. Odell Beckham, one of the best separators in the NFL had 30 all last season. Like he's going to have a bigger sample size year one as a rookie. If he is, you know, playing a full season's worth of snaps, he's going to have more contested catches than he did his entire college career. And I, and he was good on them. I mean, he converted 13 in college, which is a pretty good rate for college wide receivers, but like it's still a very small sample size. And like you mentioned, he doesn't always attack the ball great and he doesn't have nfl level size at this 193 point 193 pounds 6'1 really skinny dude like that could be an issue that arises to where it, everyone has to be able to play through contact at the nfl level and we just really haven't seen him do that it's just something we haven't seen him do
0: I don't think that number gets brought up enough. I mean, 30, is, you know, you're talking about over a quarter of your targets, you're going to have to fight through some level of contact or contested situation. And I think with that, you can't miss on half of those, you know, like that, those yeah. are valuable opportunities, often big plays that you need to kind of come down with. And I think with Jerry Judy, one doesn't have a ton of experience in them. And even in them has had an inconsistent, I would say conservative approach to the football in those cases. Large. I mean, I, I mean, kind of no contest in some of those contested catch situations, which again, Again, this guy still separates an elite level. Still, top receiver in this class, but I, I, that's interesting. I I think I'm glad that we're seeing the same thing. I'll say that. And I think it's, but it's also almost like splitting hairs in terms of he's just
1: not been on the level of some of the other guys, like in this, it's not like we're saying it's bad. Like his drops aren't even, even this past year, when drops were, you know, quote unquote, an issue, he wasn't even above 10% where guys like KJ Hamler, guys we brought up before are way, way above that for their
0: careers. I mean, this list, we're in splitting hairs. This entire list. Yeah, I know. We're trying to play devil's advocate here. Yeah, yeah. All right. Jumping to CeeDee Lamb, the guy next guy on the board here, uh, wide receiver from Oklahoma. I had a very good time watching Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, all their targets in 2018 and 2019 combined back to back. So I feel like I got the best sense of like the differences in these players. And I think I want to talk about the strengths first just because we're on the topic. But CeeDee Lamb, so good after the catch. Ball skills are fantastic. And, and this guy just catches everything thrown his way. And I think... Really can separate too. Because if you turn on his 2018 tape, he sees more one-on-one coverage, and you actually get an opportunity to see like this guy can break people. This guy can actually create separation at the intermediate and deep levels of the field against single coverage. But if I had to highlight the weakness, he didn't see a ton of press in 2019. He saw a ton of off-coverage. And even in that off coverage, he's going against some really bad defenders in the Big 12. These, these missed tackles for CeeDee Lamb are like really, really bad form, really bad angles to the football in the Big 12.
1: Yeah. And so he's playing mainly outside, but they just don't press in the big 12, only 87 snaps against press this past year. And that was my biggest thing is that he's not playing good competition. Like only 12 snaps against Jeff Gladney, best cornerback in the big 12, a TCU cornerback CD lamb only takes 12 snaps against him. And then after that, AJ green, the Oklahoma state cornerback, probably the best guy he faced and AJ green might not get drafted. Like they they did not face any cornerback worth a damn. And, Until you see that, like until you see how a guy will react to a good cornerback putting a jam on him, it's difficult to really get a sense of how they'll translate to the NFL, unfortunately. So that that to me is the biggest thing. And again, splitting hairs because it's not really a weakness for C.D. Lamb. It's just, again, something we haven't seen C.D. do.
0: But I, I would say this. It's not necessarily a weakness for him, but it is enough for me to say, there is a, you know, uh, a maybe a higher per- a percentage chance than some people think that CeeDee Lamb right out of the gate isn't at the level that maybe his expectations yeah. are. Because if this guy sees single coverage or press coverage on like 60% of his snaps, he'll see more press than he has his entire career at Oklahoma. Like this guy will yeah. be in a situation he's honestly never been in. And I'll tell you what, right now, the NFL cornerbacks are a lot better than what the Big Twelve's trotting trying out. And this press is going to look a lot breaking, different for him. Breaking
1: news. <laughs> breaking <NFL> news. <laughs> Uh, NFL well. corners
0: are better. <laughs> All right, uh, let's jump <laughs> to yeah. Isaiah Simmons, the uh, the yeah. Clemson off-ball linebacker safety hybrid. And you wrote it here: never played true linebacker. I'm going to take it a step further with his weakness. I would say this: he's just too freaky to be specialized or magnificent in any one single concept or any one single assignment slash alignment. I think he's like he's so versatile that he's not. You know, you, you, there's that expression like. Fifteen inches deep and only a, like an inch wide, and then like a mile wide but one inch deep. I feel like he's not more than one inch one inch deep at any position he played at Clemson. Is that too much deep What's, references? I was gonna say, what are we going <laughs> deep in here? I have no idea. Who what has I a just mile said. wide? All I'm this saying, wood? I, I, I'm saying jack of all trades, master of nothing. Oh, okay. and I think that stands out with Isaiah Sims.
1: Yeah, uh, and so yeah, only two hundred nine. I'm Yeah. 299 snaps in the box between the tackles last year. And, but like a lot of those weren't even, there were more as a safety as like a strong safety and not necessarily him making true linebacker reads between the tackles. And if you're going to throw him in that role, uh, it's going to be something he's never done before. And now pretty much anything that he did at Clemson, he was good at, but again, it's a different animal having to just see how a guy processes that information when he's never done it. And I do think he. Ha- I don't want to say has to be a linebacker in the NFL, but I don't think deep safety is actually going to be a great role for him. Like he doesn't have the smoothness that a lot of he. He can be good in that. He can excel. Like he can be fine in that role, but that's not going to be where he's at his best. I think his elite athleticism, his elite explosiveness, you want around the line of scrimmage, and that sort of short area quickness is where he succeeds. Not necessarily transitioning. Doesn't have the smoothest hips. When, you know, flipping them. So I don't think a deep safety is maximizing his talents. So I do think he's a linebacker, but he just hasn't played linebacker. And so that's, that's why if it doesn't work out, it's because we really don't know what it looks like at this point.
0: I think with C.D. Lamb, what we mentioned about C.D. Lamb and what we're mentioning with Isaiah Simmons is this inexperienced lack of reps in a scheme that he could play at the next level or in a situation he could play at the next level that's getting brought up. And I don't think it gets brought up enough that, like, sometimes the transition from the NFL, in addition to the increase in competition, is even further – Hard to do because you ask the player to do something they haven't done. And with CeeDee Lamb, you're not asking him to see more press coverage. The fact of the matter is he's just going to see more press coverage, more single coverage. And with Isaiah Simmons, you're likely going to ask him to play less than 50 roles like he did at Clemson. You're probably going to ask him to stay in one spot more often than he did at Clemson. I think a change in a change in situation, a change in assignment can lead to falling under expectations. I think you could see that with Ceedee Lamb and Isaiah Simmons. All right, let's jump to the next two guys on the list. I want to jump a uh, bunch these guys together, the two op- top offensive tackles in this class. Andrew Thomas of Georgia and Dredrick Wills Jr. of Alabama. Take it away.
1: Yeah, so Andrew Thomas, there's probably like so any offensive lineman is just, just in general, uh, there's obviously a big risk because you you just have a long way to go. Like you when you are like no one is a finished product at the offensive line. Pass protection is a skill and it takes a lot of time to sort of maximize and, you know, get up to snuff in terms of pass protection. We see this massive learning curve at the position, in the NFL, but with Andrew Thomas, not only does he have that, but I think the Georgia offense and their tight end usage, is probably the biggest thing with me. You just didn't see him. And yes, he had a good deal of true pass sets, but on those a lot of times. Uh, so 287, Of his 786 snaps last year, he was directly covered by a tight end. Uh, On over half of his snaps, they had a tight end on his side. Uh, Maybe not directly covered, but maybe a, a little split alignment on his side last season. And when you have a tight end, on your side you're basically like a uh it's more it's more like a guard in terms of pass protection a guy can't fire off at you like you just have to the the edge rusher has to clear that tight end it's a little easier of an assignment uh and that's not tight ends just not common in college football nowadays like you get a lot of guys who are uncovered the vast majority of their snaps by a tight end and are getting edge rushers flying at him one-on-one snap after snap after snap. That just wasn't Andrew Thomas in that Georgia offense with how many heavy sets, how much the personnel they used uh, and that sort of thing. So we, so while the grades were great, I just don't think it will be quite as translatable as you might expect from, you know, an sec tackle. He just got protected a little bit in that Georgia
0: scheme. Who do you think? And, I, and this is a little bit off topic, but who do you think of this offensive tackle group is Ultimately, the top offensive tackle off the board. Because I would say that PFF their current rankings are not, you know, similar to what others see this class. And some see Tristan Worst. I think Bavada has the odds right now as Tristan Worst the most favorite, the the favorite to be the first offensive tackle mm-hmm. off the board. And right after that is Makai Becton. And it's not Andrew Thomas. It's not Jedrick Wills. Who you have both ranked above Tristan Worst and Makai Becton. When it's all said and done, where does the NFL see this class? Who do you think the first tackle off the board is? Well, you know my thoughts about Makai Becton and <laughs> yeah, Hettleman.
1: but. Yeah. So I think that, and if not that, like I said, Tristan Wirfs would be Gellman's choice. But if not, I, I really I really do think it will be one of, I don't think it's going to be Thomas because he didn't have the, the the freaky numbers that teams will chase in the top 10 of the draft. I think Becton has the freakiness to him. Wirfs has the freakiness to him. I think Jedrick Wills, to some degree, has that freakiness to him. So I would bet one of those three is the first off the board. I had to, again, if I had to put money on I'd say Mekhi Becton just because of Get what up. all he brings to the table. <laughs> but, I mean, in our draft board rankings, it shows you how closely we feel about all of them. There's four of them between 8 and 14 on our draft board. Andrew Thomas, Josh Jones, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs are all fall in that range. So that's why you're going to see rankings of those four, or, and then Mekhi Becton, who we're lower on. But you're going to see rankings of them all over the map.
0: All right. Jumping to wide receiver, Henry Ruggs of Alabama. And I will say this. I'm thinking, I've been thinking oh, about didn't this touch for a on while. Jedrick Willis. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Go Jedrick Wills. The wide base.
1: His base in his pass sets is just absurdly wide. I mean, he needs to re-sort re- of build them from the ground up in a number of different ways, but he plays with just a crazy wide base that kind of limits his, uh, I don't know why, because usually you see guys who play with wide bases because they have play strength issues. And maybe it's just hold over from, you know, coming in as a freshman and having to play snaps right away for Alabama at times there. Uh, but you don't need, you don't, he doesn't need to play with wide base. He's just a strong ass dude an explosive dude. Uh, so his feet and pass protection are a bit of an issue at this point, got him exposed and he got bull rushed at times still. So I, I will say uh wide base needs to be fixed for Jedrick Wills. There's a, there's a number of things that need to be fixed in this pass set. So he, again, like all offensive tackles has a ways to go.
0: I mean that's the thing with Jedrick though. It, it's that he's valued as a top prospect because of what he can be. He's not mm-hmm. there yet, and I think de- you know determining whether or not the, the flaws in his game can be fixed is kind of a big piece, big piece of the puzzle when you are evaluating him because what he can be in the NFL is absurd. You know, like Lane Johnson is something that you comp them to. Even better, maybe if he does you know put all the ducks in a row. All right, let's jump to Don't Henry Love. Same that. with Al. Don't tell <laughs> Lane that. Um, jumping to. And- you know, we talked about Jerry Judy and CD Lamb, and I think the weaknesses came quicker for me with than Henry Muggs. I know Henry Muggs is third on our board because I do like a lot of what he brings to the table. I think his route running is underrated. I wouldn't highlight his route running as a weakness. I think his contested catchability and ball skills are very good. I think that if anything, if you had to highlight something for me, and you have it kind of highlighted here, the inexperience didn't get targeted a ton in that Alabama offense. Didn't you just didn't see the production that you want to see from a top flight wide receiver? But I would also bring up what we you know we talked to Brandon Stokely for a little bit about these fast receivers. And who his favorites are, and he brought up, I think, what was a very valid point: in that faster receivers you often see struggle with injury in the NFL, struggle with more reps in the NFL. And with Henry Ruggs, he did not have a, he did not have the ball in his hands It's on compared to some of the other receivers in this class. And I think John Ross, Marquise Brown, other top receivers have struggled with injury. Obviously, Marquise Brown early in his career, and same with John Ross. But I'm not going to immediately discredit his hypothesis that. Faster receivers, these guys that do run in the four twos that are slight of frame, could struggle necessarily with injury and staying healthy at the next level.
1: There, there is probably something to that in terms of the the human body was not meant to probably run four two seven uh, and be as explosive as Henry Ruggs is, and then like repeatedly have to put that explosion out there again and again and sprint as much as you have to when you're an NFL wide receiver. So I, I can, there's definitely something to that, and at a hundred. I mean, pound. I mean, like...
0: think about you got to think about that. Like Deshaun, Deshaun has battled injury. Tyreek Hill has battled injury of late. Like you talk about like D- Darius Hayward Bay never got enough receptions to really ever battle injury. <laughs> but like some of these other guys that have like been in the four twos have it. Jacoby Ford battled injury like these guys that like are fast, like do struggle with <laughs> with injury. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's I, I do see a, somewhat of a correlation in this small sample size kind of anecdotally. I I can
1: see that. And then the one I had that's more on-field based though, is just, he's this deep threat. That's never actually been a deep threat in Alabama's offense. Like he had four deep catches all last year. That was, you know, Devontae Smith had 10. That was fourth most among Alabama wide receivers. He had six deep catches in all 2018 and two in all of 2017. So 12 in his entire college career, 12 deep receptions for a guy who has four, two, seven speed when every single year guys were out producing him in that regard in Alabama's offense. And, and yes, it's a unique situation. It's never been, it probably never been a more loaded wide receiver core in college football history, but he's the, he's undoubtedly the most athletic of the bunch. Why was he not, why were they not featuring him or trying to get him the ball in that regard when they, they tried to do that to Devonte Smith this past year. Like they were, they were legit. He was the guy running the go routes in that offense, not Henry Ruggs. So that's just, Interesting to me. And and again, it's one of the things where if you haven't seen it from a guy, you don't know what it's going to look like when you do end up having to see it. When, when, you know, next year he's going to, if he is, you know, running the deep vertical route tree in your offense, he's going to get 25 or so deep targets. And it's going to be something unlike, or it's going to be unlike whatever he's seen before in his career at Alabama. How will he react? How does he approach the ball? We don't really know because we haven't seen it that much.
0: Kevin Cole, a data scientist and content contributor at PFF, was saying he wants to write an article about just how rare – Henry Ruggs is if he does produce at a high level, considering his market share at the college level, because it's just not something you see a ton in terms of the guy with the, his market share going to the NFL and being like a top flight, top ten worthy pick. And I think mm. he would have to be he would have to be up there with one of the more productive receivers ever with that market share if he was going to meet expectation if he's drafted in the top ten, top fifteen. I think it will be interesting to see how that goes because it is an interesting situation. We brought it up before that these Alabama receivers were playing rock paper scissors to see who got the deep ball, like at Alabama, yeah. like that's how. You just- Socks he at rock, was. paper,
1: scissors, maybe. Is that, <laughs> and I think
0: that if we had to highlight a red flag, I, I'm all for highlighting the fact that he's not good at rock, paper, scissors. All right. Jumping to Tristan worse, the Iowa off to tackle the freakish athlete, 320 pounder that broke like records at the combine and rightfully so. We talked to him um, a little bit and we had him on the, uh, we had him on the podcast and he said, NFL teams have told him oversetting is where he kind of has that. There's that flaw. And you have it highlighted here as well.
1: Yes. You look at pretty much, not all of them. He had a handful of other losses this past year that weren't, but majority of his losses. And you go back to the Michigan game, which is probably his worst game in terms of uh, pass protection inside moves. Like he just gets too wide and then no reaction ability to those inside moves. That's their, you look at the top tackles in the NFL. They barely ever lose on the inside move. They force you to go run the edge around them and they push you wide of the quarterback. So that's the biggest thing with him. Another just, You know, Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end for Michigan, gave him some real fits uh, with his inside move. They're not Uchi, not the other guys there in Michigan, but the sophomore uh, really hurt him with that. So I do think that it's something that fixable, but at the same time still needs to be fixed.
0: Moving to Derek Brown, the Auburn defensive style guy, we bagged on a little bit because I mean, we see some big boards have this guy as a top five player, and we just don't see that considering pos- positional value and specifically facet value. I mean, he's just not a premier pass rusher at the collegiate level, and considering his athleticism, which we would highlight as probably the worst kind of the worst on field con with him that is you just don't expect him to get that much better and be a premier pass rusher in the NFL, knowing what we know about college to pro projections and how much athleticism matters along the defensive line. If you're going to create consistent pass rush.
1: Yes. And, and that's the thing is he is not close to even not close to pretty much any top tier pass rushing defense tackle in the NFL right now. Athletically, he was according to uh, Zach Whitman's website, three Sigma athlete, which the test, uh, which has spark scores for all the players and historical spark scores and the sort of which is a holistic way of measuring someone's athleticism with their weight and all the things that go into, you know, the combine testing. He was in the 32nd percentile for defensive tackles, the spark score, which is weight adjusted uh, athleticism. And that's just not good whatsoever. You know, 32nd percentile, if you're drafting a guy in the top five, top 10 of a draft who has 32nd percentile athleticism compared to his position, that's just not a risk you want to be running. Like that's not a lot of guys, not a lot of elite players in the NFL are not also at least just above average athletes. Like you, it takes athleticism to play a lot of positions at a high level. And so that's concerning to me. It is just, it's not, Killing him by any means, but that one is a legitimate red flag that you just might not be getting a, a top tier pass rusher in Derrick Brown that everyone thinks he is at this point.
0: Yeah. And what's what concerns me is there are some that don't think he is, but still value him as a top five player. Like, yeah. I, yeah, they're like, yeah. I agree. He's not going to be a great pass rusher, but think about this guy against the run. It's like, yeah, I have. And I, <laughs> and, I and now I, I move and I'll
1: go sign <laughs> Damon Harrison for five mil a year.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, Javon Kinlaw, the next defensive tackle, next player we want to discuss. We've said this a little, I've talked about this a little bit with Javon Kinlaw. Guys, you know, you, we bring up the built-in-a-lab expression with Jeffrey Okuda. It's very similar with Javon Kinlaw in terms of defensive tackle. He gets Chris Jones comparisons for his length and his size. The thing with him is that he's a bit raw. But I always bring up raw, and they also highlight the fact that he produced at a very high level from a pass rushing perspective, which makes him being raw almost a positive. Because, like, this guy's <laughs> sloppy Joe from a technical standpoint has only a handful of moves, but is already a 90.0-plus pass rusher in, in terms of PFF grade. That's what makes me excited about his raw rawness and in, in hindsight
1: yes but it still means there's a ways to go and it means he has to you know work at it and he has to develop them I mean, there's no it's no sure thing that a guy is able to learn and implement pass rushing moves that's not you know, it's just like that's inherent risk there and so to only have really like a push pull and a swim at this point they didn't have a great bull rush because he will play a little high at times i just I think it's worrisome like it is still reason for concern and could be why he doesn't necessarily produce at the next level.
0: Yep, Uh, But I think with NFL coaching from the interviews I've heard or listened to and also like just what people talk about with his character, it sounds like a guy that gets better with NFL coaching at the next level. It sounds like he's eager to learn from coaches at the next level. And I would agree – I would say the same thing about Tristan Wirfs. I mean we talked to Tristan Wirfs and a guy that oversets, he's going to get it corrected if taught how to do so and if given the reps an opportunity to do so because this guy has got a good head on his shoulders and understands – And where he needs to improve. All right. Josh Jones, Houston offensive tackle. This one's obvious. Level of competition. Playing in the group of five, he probably only played against a handful of NFL caliber, you know, NFL caliber Mm -hmm. defensive ends or rushers. And for that reason, you just haven't seen it. He's fortunate that he was healthy and invited to the Senior Bowl because, or else, it would have been really difficult to get a good gauge if he could handle it against NFL competition. But you watch this guy against, you know, the guys he went up against at the Senior Bowl, and you saw he was good but again that's a limited sample size
1: yeah that's the thing you get you know a dozen or so pass rush wraps at the senior bowl over the course of course the week that you're basing a lot of this sort of like that he's nfl ready on and yes he looked really good and yes he looked really good on his tape too and that's like two sort of tick marks in his favor but realistically even the competition at the senior bowl was not great. Like you're not, they didn't face, and we've said it's a weak edge class and there probably weren't even any of the top probably wasn't even in the top five guys in our edge board there at the senior bowl. So in a weak edge class, he wasn't even facing a guy who might go before the third round, which that's like, you just don't know until you face an NFL level competition, what's going to look like. So yes, not having faced anyone of that caliber is concerning for him.
0: All right, jumping to Christian Fulton. I, I put in here his 2019 tape because, I mean, there's just like, there's some there's some bad reps on his 2019 tape that have people kind of doubting Christian Fulton. But I think we always bring it up with the same sense that he, you know, fought through injury, had an ankle injury against Texas. And you saw some of that, like, some of that affect his change of direction, or I think, burst out of his, you know, burst out of his drop. But I think with Christian Fulton, too, though, you turn on the 2018 tape and you get really impressed with what he does.
1: Yeah, the 2019 tape is definitely concerning and i'd also add he just doesn't necessarily tick the size boxes that you would necessarily want at the cornerback position uh he only had only sub 31 inch arms a wingspan of seven not even uh six foot wingspan which for a cornerback that's really small like there are there are five nine cornerbacks with a wider wingspan than christian fulton so like playing in press coverage. And that's why I've said press coverage. He's not like a pure press sort of guy. He's more of a mirror press uh, when they do play man at LSU. He's not getting physical with you. And it's because if you did try to get physical, uh, he'd probably get tossed around a little bit. He doesn't have that necessarily in his game. So that's just not going to be who he is. And, and it's just sort of like, it's, that's a weakness. That's something that could get exposed more and more. Once you see bigger, stronger wide receivers at the next level.
0: What's more important for cornerbacks wingspan or arm length? Cause I feel like arm length gets talked about way more than wingspan. But I mean, I would argue that how, you know, your wingspan maybe is a bit more important in terms of like, just like overall, re, you know, I don't, I don't know though. Now we're just fucking really, <laughs> now we're really splitting hairs. I sound like a moron. I don't know, it's, but uh, it, go ahead. I, I mean, I think they're
1: both kind of like, it's almost like combine them into one percentile rank, like the combine how, Combine the percentile of each into one and that's kind of how to use it because they they both give about the same sort of how, how it translates to a football field.
0: Or just never bring it up because I'm a fucking moron. I think that could be – that's another thing as well if we wanted to use that as a <laughs> potential answer. All right, last two segments of the podcast, that's going to do it for the you know weaknesses for the top prospects in this class. I think if you do like this, if you did like that segment, we could continue through the rest of the top draft board. All you have to do is leave a review, and your email we will send you a draft guide and maybe kick this back up on Wednesday. Let us know. Moving to the next segment, though, it's bar fight season. It's time. It's time to break a bottle and slash some necks here because I want to talk about – Brandon Ayuk, right now on PFF's board, I'm pretty sure he's inside the top 32, at least the top 35 on PFF's board. If I'm if I'm not mistaken,
1: I want to say he was 32nd on our latest draft board.
0: 32nd on our latest draft board, and I I just feel like I'm willing to disagree. That maybe he is that good in this class. I think there maybe are better receivers than Brandon Ayuk. specifically, right below him and Michael I put Pittman, be- I put that there were better receivers than Brandon Ayuk. What do we? No no, no, I'm saying better, <laughs> receivers, better receivers that are below him. That like are Michael lower. Pittman- gotcha. Michael- maybe better. And the reasons I'm not a fan of Brian Nayuk is one, the biggest, probably the biggest reason is his usage. You know, I think over what it's like over 64% of his targets were on screens and over, I think, 71% of his production were on throws within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And if I'm going to draft a receiver in these top few picks here, I want a guy that can win down the football field. And I do agree, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, that he has the athleticism and the explosiveness to separate down the football field and get down there. But I think he's very unpolished from a route running perspective, doesn't have a ton of experience He's playing against great competition. Former Gico, Juco prospect going against a bunch of bums in the Pac-12 at corner. I, 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 I don't know. I think the production is a little bit concerning, somewhat inflated by usage. And also, I think he lacks polish to be this kind of first-round player combined with that usage.
1: I think You're you just don't him? like him. I was just say, I think you just don't like him because he brings up wingspan again. And you don't want to talk <laughs> about wingspan because he has a six. He's almost the exact same height as Christian Fulton and has a six-foot-eight wingspan. Christian Fulton had a sub six foot wingspan. He's at six foot eight, long arms, ideal build for the wide receiver position. And he has suddenness. I know he's not a consistently, uh, you know, polished route runner. He doesn't have that yet. That's not part of his game. And you brought up the screens, slants, limited route tree, but he has the suddenness to run those routes. If given more of an opportunity. And if, you know, given the practice time, I just think it's what he was asked to do in that Arizona State offense, but you see all the traits necessary to run a full route tree again if asked to. And that explosiveness and suddenness is what you can't teach. You can get better to some degree at routes. You can't teach explosive stuff.
0: Here's what I'll say. I, I yeah. bet I am on the other side of the bar and we're teaming up and beating somebody up in this bar. If he goes to the senior bowl and balls out, but the fact that he was awesome. injured when he's able to participate, you weren't able to see him do what Denzel, Denzel Denzel Mims did in terms of he went to the senior bowl, was asked to do a lot of different things that he didn't do at Baylor and freaking blew it. All. And I was like, this guy's actually legit. He's been one of the biggest risers in this pre-draft process. nayuk hurt. didn't get a chance to see that. The only thing in my mind is he ran a ton of screens, ton of slants, limited from what he was asked to do. And I didn't even bring up the contested catchability is up there with the worst in, in this class. Like him attacking the football in the air is just simply not good. I mean, it, it was from a percentage standpoint and from a total targets perspective. That concerns me because you got a guy that maybe doesn't create as much separation as he should with his explosive athleticism because he's inexperienced from a route running perspective and he's going to run into a high percentage of contested targets, at least more so than you saw at Arizona state out of the gate. I don't know, but maybe he could be better down the road. I think I also, this is another guy I want to talk to see how he, you know, see how he interviews, see how much better he can get. Cause I do think there are a lot of things he has to do better in the NFL. If he's going to be a first round type of receiver.
1: I also believe and I'm not going to, I think you have valid concerns, but I think he's a high floor because of how dynamic he is after the catch. Like if you get the ball in his hands to me, you know, I think that's why people drafted like a Paris Campbell last year. They just thought, you know, after the catch, I can just get the ball in his hands on screens. Like that's a weapon in and of itself. I think he's better. I think he's better than a guy like that. I think he's more dynamic. I mean, as a returner last year, had a 90.4 punt return grade. Uh, 83.3 overall grade was it averaged 34.0 yards per kick return, 16.1 yards per punt return. Those are crazy high numbers for a return. It was, they stopped kicking to him in the USC game because he was that good uh, late in the season, averaged 10.9 yards after the catch uh, as a receiver, like his numbers, which is just the ball in his hand are all off the charts. So again, he has a high floor in terms of if you just get the ball in his hands, Grant Ayuk is going to make some things happen.
0: Maybe it's just more of a disagreement on draft strategy thing. Cause if I'm the GM, I'm not taking a guy that's just really good with the ball in his hands in the first round. I want a guy that can go win with out of the gate down the football field. And from a polished standpoint, you know, if you want a guy that can get do, do well with the ball in his hands, go grab Paris Campbell and see how that works out for you, Mike, go All ahead right. and see how that works out for you. Well, we'll have our, we'll have the, we're going to have
1: the, the final meeting about the draft board next week. And yeah, we'll I'm get into this debate. We're yeah, gonna get into fun. this
0: debate. All right, let's move to the last segment of the podcast here. It's gonna be perfect pairings. And I want to start with mine because I really, really do like coming uh, uh, how I came to this. But with Jalen Johnson, the Utah cornerback, Paxwell back, weighing six pounds, 31 and 3/8 inch arms, 4'5, 40-yard dash, 36 and a half inch vertical, 124-inch broad, around a seven-second three-cone. I comped him to Marcus Peters initially because I think they both win from an instinct like with with great instincts. I I am talking to Jalen Johnson later this week. I'll find out if he's the dog that Marcus Peters is cuz you can't mm. comp a cornerback to Marcus Peters unless this dude's a dog. Unless this guy's ready to rip into a fan's face on the sideline. <laughs> that's what Marcus Peters wins with. And I think but I originally comped Jalen Johnson and Marcus Peters because he wins with instincts. I think can play at the line of scrimmage and can play in off coverage, even though he, maybe he is a bit limited athletically. But then you go into Marcus Peters' um, athletic profile, and he's very similar six foot, 397 pounds, 31 and a half inch arms, only a 453, 40 yard dash, 37 and a half inch for, for around a seven second three cone, around a four second shuttle. Same thing, or very close to what Jalen Johnson did. And And I start to feel even better about the comparison, I guess with this perfect pairing segment, what's your opinion of that? That
1: is a perfect pairing in my eyes. Athletically (laughs) is very spot on. I mean, size for Marcus Peters is almost identical to the size of Jalen Johnson coming out. For some reason, I thought Peters was like a little taller. I don't know. For some reason, I thought he was like six, two, but I guess he was only six foot and 31 and a half inch arms. Whereas Jalen Johnson, also six foot with 31 and almost half inch arms. Like they are very similar. The playmaking ability. Uh, that's interesting. An interesting comp for Marcus Peters coming out. This one, I'm just reading his draft profile from Lance Irline was a keep to lead, who they ended up then playing together. I don't really see that one, but I do think Jalen Johnson, Marcus Peters.
0: Here's my take on that. I think Lance Zerline went for the comp from a headiness standpoint. Like, Akib Tlaib's a dog as well. If you want want to comp Aqib Tlaib to Marcus Spears, it's because you're doing it because they both talk a shitload of trash. And I listened to, I'm talking to Jalen Johnson on Thursday, but I listened to the interview, and I think someone brought up the fact about talking trash, and I think he did mention he liked to dabble, but it didn't sound like he's going to be ripping chains off at the next level. So I don't know if I'd go with the Akib Tlaib comp. Uh, What's your perfect pairing?
1: All right. Mine. I'm going to go to the running back position. And we did this a while ago. I did a bunch of, obviously there's comps for every player in the guide and some of them you feel worse about than others. There's some in there. I go back and look and I'm like, I just cringe. I'm like, God damn it. I hate, I don't know why I did that. (laughs) This one, I went back and I'm like, Oh yeah, this one's, I love this one. And it was LSU running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire and it was uh, Rutgers running back, right? Uh, Ray Rice coming out back in the day. So
0: Uh, The reason I remember that because Rich Eisen, when like on, I remember when Rich Eisen was doing red zone or highlights, it would be Ray Rice of Rutgers running for the Ravens. He would do, so I do think it was Rutgers.
1: It is Rutgers and purely on field with his comp again. Clyde Edwards, 5'7, 207. Ray Rice was actually 195 coming out, but then he got listed higher than that when he was with, uh, he was got listed at like 205 with the Ravens, I believe. So, played similar size in the NFL, that short area quickness, the, you know, Ray Rice, not the biggest speedster in the world, but could get open against one-on-one against a linebacker that is Clyde Edwards Hilaire, that short squatty body type that works at the running back position, both possess that the measurables aren't as spot on as yours were, but I think still very similar types of players.
0: Yeah, I think comps I've had for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, at least early in the process, were Devontae Freeman and Trey Mason of Auburn. Because I mean, both are like that kind of squattier frame. And and, uh, I think, you know, with Devontae Freeman, obviously, that'd be the high end. Trey Mason, though, I loved Trey Mason coming out of Auburn. But then you read, I don't know if you've read that article about like, I mean, he went through some tough, tough things. And I think football kind of him in a bad space but i think trey mason was was an interesting player coming out of auburn i really did like him coming out mike that's a perfect pairing ray rice to clyde edwards T love that can i throw one more at you because i dropped this on twitter and i think i might hate myself for it but ashton davis athletically and from a usage standpoint in the nfl i think what can be very similar to Juan thornhill of the kansas city chiefs now let me stop that let me hit I I agree that Juan Thornhill wins with great instincts and has polish in that regard in terms he recognizes route concepts and processes very quickly. That's how he wins. But athletically and from a high end standpoint, if Ashton Davis gets better as a processor and plays more football, I even said this, you know, when I was talking it out, like plays more football. He could get to the level that Juan Thornhill does in terms of playing a lot of deep safety, but also coming into the slot and playing against the slot. What's your opinion of that comp overall?
1: Mm, I, I feel like Thornhill's a lot bigger, though, isn't he? Like size wise, what's Ashton Davis? Ashton Davis feels like I had Ashton Davis comp to Darnell Savage in the draft guide.
0: Juan Thornhill just, is six foot two oh five. Okay, and Ashton Davis is six foot one two oh two. I mean, it's it's not really that's interesting. Not, yeah, yeah, he's and I, he's a bit of a hoss. I mean, when we stood next to him at the senior ball, this guy's not. Yeah, I don't think he's Darnell Savage small. Like Darnell Savage is like small. Yeah. Okay, moving yeah. on from the size, because that just got debunked. Yeah. I, I think from a usage standpoint, though, I think it's similar. And from an athletic standpoint, because I know Ashton Davis didn't get an opportunity to test, but I think he would test similarly to Juan Thornhill in that he's going to run fast. Like Juan Thornhill clocked a 442 um at 40 yard dash. The jumps were freaking absurd. I don't know if Ashton Davis would be that explosive, forty-four inch vertical and over hundred and forty inch broad, but like I do think like Ashton Davis is up there with one of the better athletes in this class. He just has an opportunity mm-hmm. hasn't had the opportunity to show it. Because he doesn't have a pro day due to COVID nineteen, and didn't test at the combine due to injury.
1: I don't hate it. I just like Darnell Savage better.
0: Okay, still that's fine. Savage Savage one ninety eight. We can end the podcast.
1: They're the, they're like almost the exact same difference away size wise. We
0: can we can hate uh, we can hate each other to end this podcast. Anyway, um, that's going to do it for the Monday edition of Two Four Drafts. Really appreciate you guys listening, and I really appreciate you guys leaving a review, subscribe, download, and leave a review with your email to be one of the five people that received a free 2020 NFL draft guide from Mike and I. Yours truly, we will definitely do that for you. But until next time, until the Wednesday edition, thanks again. This is Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Two Four Drafts.